If you have a Bible, please make your way to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6 is where we will spend our time together for this service. We're going to begin reading in, or I will begin reading in verse 19, the words of Matthew, the apostle, the disciple, the tax collector. Here's what he writes. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Why don't you take a moment and just pray just to yourself that God would reveal his word, his truth to your heart today, and then I will pray for all of us collectively. Father, as we open your word, we are grateful for your truth. We are grateful for these words of your servant and son, Jesus Christ. And to many, when we think about the truth of your word, they would suggest that it is nothing but archaic legend, irrelevant, not time-sensitive, and certainly not applicable to 2017. Yet, Father, we know better. It is timeless, it is perfect, it is eternal, and not a single word will fall from its pages for all time. Because you have spoken. And we are grateful for how you have spoken because it actually offers us hope and life, eternal life. And it offers us an example and clarity on how to live life now in this place, at this time, in this community. So Father, open up our hearts to listen, open up our eyes to see and our ears to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. A psychotherapist named Jessie O'Neill wrote a book entitled The Golden Ghetto. In her book, she details a sickness that is found in the soul of every human being. It is the relentless drive that constantly whispers a repeated refrain. It is this, you need more. And it typically is followed up by or preceded by another whisper, sometimes turning into a shout that says, you don't have enough. You need more. You don't have enough. You need more. You don't have enough. Jesse O'Neill has called this sickness affluenza. It's a creative title. It's a disease of incessantly pursuing affluence. It's come over the years to be something that's now stated as a mental condition, a mental disease of the human being. 
a sickness for wanting more, being driven by the pursuit of earthly treasures. This ailment means you are trusting in a God the Bible calls mammon. And the word mammon is the word we find in this text, says money. The God of mammon, it's a word that means money or wealth or property or possessions, treasures. And the sickness, the ailment, is that we, through this sickness of affluenza, can trust this God of mammon to provide for our needs instead of the God of all things. And while some cases are certainly acute, we all have a mild infection of this particular issue, this disease, to follow the God of money. And the thing about affluenza is that it produces a craving for more regardless of whether you have a lot or a little. A friend of, me, a friend of mine reminded me of a story from the Canterbury Tales written so many years ago. Here's how it goes. It's the story of three young men who spend all their time indulging in whatever they wanted, whatever made them happy, whatever made them feel good. And one night, they found out that one of their friends had been slain by death. And so they decided they were going to go and find death. And once they found him, they plotted to kill him. On their journey, they came across an old man who says that death could be found under an oak tree, and he pointed them in the direction of the oak tree. Well, when they made it to the tree, they didn't find death. They instead found three sacks of gold. They decided in that moment that it was for them. With their minds having quickly forgotten about death, they instead put greed in their hands. And they decided to wait until nightfall so that each one could carry their share of the treasure away. While they waited, one of them determined to go back to the town and get them the supplies, the food, and the drink that they needed to sustain themselves through the night. On his journey to the town, he went back and he determined that he did not want to share all of the gold. He wanted all of the treasure for himself, so he not only bought food and wine, he also bought rat poison. And he placed the rat poison within the two wine bottles of the men who were standing guard by the tree. While he was purchasing these things and placing his poison within the wine bottles, the two men at the tree who were friends decided that they didn't want to split the treasure three ways, so they would stab the man to death once he returned. So once he returned, they carried out their evil plot, and they stabbed him until he too died. And in celebration of having this newfound treasure, they decided to drink the wine. They were poisoned, and they too died. The old man told the truth. All three men found death under the oak tree. They were victims of affluenza. They were driven, motivated, imprisoned by their desire for treasure. They might not have thought that greed was their master. They might not have thought that the God of mammon, the God of money had overtaken their hearts. But he had and he did with devastating results. Leaves us with the question this morning, are you infected with affluenza? Are you consumed by consumerism, possessed by possessions, maddened by materialism, crazed by commercialism? Whom is it you treasure the most? The God of mammon 
or the God of all. The text we have in Matthew chapter 6 is about trust and treasure. It's about trust and treasure. And there is only one cure for the sickness found in each of us this morning. There's only one cure found in each of us today. Choosing to trust God alone and only as our provision. For the next few weeks, we want to take a look at three passages that reveal to us what happens when heavenly and earthly economies collide. It's a series on stewardship. And this morning we are in the Gospel of Matthew and we find ourselves in the middle of an explosive sermon. It was given by Jesus. It was called the Sermon on the Mount. It's explosive because it messed with all the assumptions of the spiritual leaders of the day. It collided with the culture. How? Because every sentence of Jesus revealed in this sermon shows the fact that God's heavenly kingdom is set up in a way that fundamentally opposes the way our societies work here on the earth. So Jesus says things like, do you want to be great? Well, being great is not found in being great. I tell you, being poor in spirit is actually how you'll end up being great. He flips everything on its head. It's the great reversal. Jesus' way is always counterintuitive to the ways of the world. The kingdom of God is always opposed to the kingdom of the earth. And yet we live in this world, we were born in this world, and without even seeing it, we are so very prone to living as faithful citizens of this world as opposed to faithful citizens of the kingdom to which we belong through faith. Now, in this particular section, Jesus is dealing with our relationship to things, to things that we can purchase or buy with money. And Jesus gives us three sayings in these verses. In verses 19 through 21, he gives us the first, 22 and 23 is the second, 24 is the third. And all three sayings have the same structure. We're going to see this over and over again. They contrast two ways of living, and then they offer a conclusion. So together, they give us, these three sayings give us a single message. In financial terms, if we were to going to discuss this single message in financial terms, it would go something like this, that the best return on investment, or the best ROI, is measured in terms of long-term gains. If we were to bring that into the language uh, that we find here within the text and really the, the point that Jesus was trying to make. In other words, it's saying trust God more than the God of mammon for your provision. Now, many of us in this room think, I do that already. I'm good. I got this one down. We ought to remember that this sickness of affluenza is very subtle. It is a mild case of idolatry that often has flare-ups that we do not see and that make us blind. We'll see this in time. So this text tells us to choose between pursuing God and pursuing possessions, realizing that God is the only remedy for affluenza. So what does it look like to trust God more than the God of mammon or money for our provision? Two things I want to share this morning. The first is we need to choose our investment strategy and we need to choose the right one. Look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. There's one way of living. Here's the structure that we're going to see. There's Jesus describing one way of living. 
Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. There's the contrast. There's the kingdom way of living. And then he comes to his final part for the saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's the conclusion. What does Jesus mean by treasures on earth? I think we are so tempted to believe that he's talking about luxuries, an exuberant lifestyle. It means things money can buy. Like what? Well, if you read the rest of the text, if you read the rest of the chapter, we might be tempted to think it's the big house, the nice car, the newest piece of technology, the newest smartwatch, whatever it might be. But in fact, when you read the rest of the chapter, you'll see that these treasures on earth are defined by Jesus and they are not luxuries. He defines treasures on earth as three things, food, drink, and clothing. So treasures on earth can actually mean things we need, not just luxuries. This means that the issue is bigger than whether or not we are living a luxurious lifestyle. That's not actually what Jesus is after here. What he's after is whether your trust in money is greater than your trust in God to provide. The issue with things is that they will never bring satisfaction. They will never bring satisfaction. Satisfaction, we could say, is sold separately. It's sold separately. You cannot purchase it. What do we do when we are hungry? You feed your appetite. And then you wait a while, and what happens? You're hungry again. So we return over and over and over to our appetites, and we feed it over and over and over again. And it's been this way since each of us were born. This is an inescapable cycle. We all come to that realization. So you eat food so you can get energy, and you use the energy so you can go to work, and you go to work so you can earn money, and you get the money so you can go and buy more Food, so you can eat the food, and so you can get energy, and so you can get energy, so you can go to work, so you can go to work, and you can make some money, so you can make some money, so you can go and buy food. It's this cycle over and over and over again, and we all come to the place where we know how this works. This is why when you go to the auto show, you see a new car, and you want the new car, even though your car is just fine. This is why when you go to the auto show and you sit in the front seat of the vehicle and you're like, well, I like the technology in this one. This one's way better than what I got a few years ago or whatever it might be, even though it might run for another 100,000 miles. And so I want this car. So you might purchase the car and then what happens? A few years later, you go to the auto show again. You look at the cars and you say, I don't like my car anymore. I want this car instead now. This one has all the things that I want, all the technology that's necessary, all the things that will make my family safe. I can justify it a million different ways. This will keep our kids from fighting with all the entertainment systems within it. I can talk to my wife or my husband without even having the distraction of a child. Uh, Whatever it might be, we go through this cycle all the time. We see it. All the time. This is why when you came to church today, maybe this was you, uh, just look to the person to your left and right. I mean, maybe they're looking pretty nice today. If they're looking good, say, you're looking good today. You're looking good today. If you're looking at them and they're looking pretty good today, you might be thinking, 
uh, man, that's a really nice dress, or that's a really nice shirt, or those are really nice shoes, or now that Steve's staying on a, a stage, I can see his uh, hipster shoes up there. I want those shoes. And, and so it, you're looking around, you see people's clothing, and you're like, I, I want that dress, or I want that shirt, or I want those shoes, even though you have dresses and shirts and shoes. It's just a vicious cycle. It's always going. It's an insatiable appetite that drives us to want more. And it's in all of us. This sickness, this affluenza, want more possessions, new possessions, shinier, brighter, better. Let me prove it to you. The appetite does not go away whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. Uh, maybe many of you have, or a few of you have even lived this story out. Say you're in a job and you're making $30,000 a year. I know you thought it. I remember my first job. I made thirty grand a year. And I remember I, th- I thought it. If only I made fifty, life would be so much easier. Life would be so much better. Life would be so much more comfortable. And then what happens over time? Well, maybe you start making 50. And then when you make $50,000, you think, well, if, if, if only I made 100, that, that would be so much easier. I could start to save a little bit. Life would be more comfortable. I wouldn't, have to, I wouldn't have to worry about bills as much. If only I could make 100,000, and then you make 100,000. And then you start to think, well, if only I could make more, then, then I could truly be generous. Then, then I could finally be, be generous with other people because I'll have some surplus to give and I'll be able to save for my children or grandchildren and I'll be able to do all these things. And so if only I could make a quarter million dollars and then you make a quarter million dollars, it never ends. It does not matter whether you make minimum wage. It does not matter whether you make seven figures. That appetite is in every single one of our hearts. It's just present It's affluenza. The desire to want more is inside of us. And filling your craving for worldly treasure will never satisfy. It will not satisfy. It will simply cycle. That's the best it can do. That's the best the God of mammon will bring you in life. And maybe you're happy with that. You're like, I'm kind of thrilled with my cycle because I... I'm at a place where I could just kind of buy what I want. When it gets old, I can buy the next thing, and then I can buy the next thing, and then I can buy the next thing. And all the time, you're, you're deceiving yourself because you're actually thinking the whole time that this new thing will bring you something that it does not, in fact, bring you. Maybe a sense of identity, maybe purpose, maybe position, maybe status, maybe comfort. Jesus, let me remind us all here before we go too far, that he was not anti-possessions. That was not his point. His point was not that we not own things. His point was that the things that we own wouldn't own us and that we would use them for different purposes. So what is the way of the heavenly kingdom? How is the way of Jesus counterintuitive? Instead of laying up earthly treasures, and it's interesting the tense of the verb that Jesus uses here, it's in the present. He's basically saying to his audience, right now you're hoarding earthly treasure. And he's saying instead of hoarding and building up earthly treasure, this is the way of the kingdom, lay up treasures in heaven. So instead of viewing money as the source of our provision, 
view God as the source. Instead of getting things, food, clothing, houses, the, the, the necessities as well as the luxuries, instead of getting these things because you are worried about not having what you will need, instead selflessly love others with the things you already have. He says, beat money into submission. It's like sitting money down and saying to it, thank you for coming today, money. Listen, I just want to make sure that the rules are clear. You shall serve me, I not you. That's what he's asking us to do, that we would beat money into submission, that it is there to serve the purposes that God has placed upon ourselves, not that we would be served or that we would be serving it. So this becomes our guiding principle. Wherever we build in the world, that will be lost. But whatever we build for the kingdom of God, that will never be lost. And heavenly treasure, maybe you're wondering, what is heavenly treasure then? Do you know what it is? It's actually very simple. The Bible makes it clear on what it is, and it can be found in just one place. It's through making disciples of Jesus. That's heavenly treasure, that people's lives, souls, eternities would be shaped by the gospel through you, through the spirit in you. That is the only treasure that will exist eternally. Let me ask you, friends, where is your treasure? Where is your heart May it always and only be on making a difference for the gospel because that is all that will last. It reminds me of the words of one of my favorite hymns, one of Katie's as well, Be Thou My Vision. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart, High King of heaven, my treasure now art. What does it look like to trust God more than the God of mammon for your provision? First, we choose to invest our lives in heavenly treasure. Second, we must choose our master. Our master is the one we will trust for our provision and serve with our lives. So look next at verse 22. Here's Jesus' second saying. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Remember the structure? Here's one way of living. 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. There's the other way of living, the contrast. Now the conclusion. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. If we are diseased with affluenza, then our eyes will be fixed on the things of the world. And we will bring greater darkness to this place instead of greater light. Wherever your treasure is stored, whether your treasure is stored here on the earth or in heaven, that is where you will fix your gaze. That is where your eyes will be focused. Forty-six years had passed since Jesus had been crucified. When it rained fire and the sky was turned completely black in the city of Pompeii. Pompeii, as a result of the destruction of a volcano, was completely destroyed and buried in volcanic ash. 
It happened so quickly that the entire city almost became frozen in time. Everything within it, the people, the buildings, the statues, almost frozen by the ash that had immediately covered them. As a result of this, it was not discovered until the 1700s, and today it exists as some of the best ruins you will ever see in the world because the city was so well-preserved underneath all of this ash. It was so well-preserved that you see the facial expressions and the physical posture of people who had died and what they were doing the moment they passed. It was interesting that During the excavation, there was a body discovered that had been embalmed by the ashes of the volcano. It was the body of a woman with her feet turned toward the city gate as though she was running away from the destruction that was happening behind her. And while her feet were turned towards the city gate, her face was turned backwards towards something that her arm was literally reaching for. Her feet moving this way, her face and arm reaching backward, and the archaeologists discovered that there was something just beyond her fingertips. It was a necklace of pearls, a necklace of pearls. As she was fleeing for her life, she could not resist the lure of those pearls. Where is your gaze? I think a lot of times believers, followers of Jesus say, my feet are fixed, I am running towards Christ, I am moving towards the gospel, I am moving towards the kingdom of heaven, I'm trying to live out my faith for the world to see so that others might come to faith in Jesus Christ as well, but while our feet might be turned and postured towards heaven, our eyes and arms sometimes is reaching. Just if I could just get that one thing, that it's, it's just, just outside my reach. If I, get, if I could just get that one, one thing before I go. Before I go, there's just that one thing I want. That, that one thing I feel like I, I really need it. If I, if I can just grasp it, then I'll be ready. And so we fix our gaze on earthly treasure. And Jesus is saying here, that means you're Eyes are bad. John Piper, speaking about this, he said, Make sure you see heavenly treasure as infinitely more precious than earthly material treasure. When your eyes see things this way, you are full of light. And if you don't see things this way, even the light you think you see, the glitz, the flash, the skin, the muscle of the world is all darkness. You are sleepwalking through life. You are serving money as a slave without even knowing it because it has lulled you to sleep. Far better is it to be swayed by the truth, the infinite value of God. Can you think of a biblical character who exhibits this problem? I had one jump into my mind quickly. This sickness. How about Judas, who was with Jesus? While Jesus was speaking these very words. Remember Judas, Mary anointed Jesus' feet with expensive perfume. It was an act of worship. 
In John chapter 12, and Judas could not see the beauty in that moment. He could not view it as something that would bring him to a place of worship. He only saw it as wasted resource. He, he was keeping in charge of the books. He was handling all the percentages. He'd calculated what to do with all the money, and he could not fathom that Jesus would allow this to happen. And it revealed where his heart had gone. He's sick with affluenza. His God is mammon, and there was no room for another. And how did it end for him? He sold the life of his rabbi for 30 pieces of silver. We ask, how in the world, how could he be so blind? He had a bad eye, friends. His eye was not healthy. Faith, see, is required because we do not see the end. We do not experience the glories of the heavenly riches that we're building up. We don't see it. And because we don't see it, it requires faith. I love how Philip Yancey, the author, put this. Listen to this carefully. He said, I have learned that faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. I have learned that faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. And this was the perspective of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, it says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, what he did in life was for a joy that he was not yet experiencing, not yet seeing. It was out of his reach, beyond what he could see in the moment, beyond the immediacy of what it could bring him. And it says, for the joy set before him, heavenly treasure, he endured the cross. Jesus had good eyes. He chose to build up with his life that which could never be taken away. He, he, he spent his very life for heavenly riches, for heavenly treasure. He was not interested in the God of mammon. He understood its lies. He understood the deception, and he was not fooled. And so he gave his life, a servant, a savior that brought life and light and forgiveness and hope to all of us if we have eyes to see. Here's his third saying. No one can serve two masters. If you don't mind writing in your Bible, I just want you to circle no one. Sometimes I think that we're like, we're the exception. <laughs> That's not me. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, there's the one way of living, remember our formula, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other, there's the contrast, and finally the conclusion, you cannot serve God and money. The contrast is strikingly clear, you cannot give God and money your total allegiance, See, here's what we often try to do. Well, you know, 
I will give God the majority of my heart. So we love percentages. We like to do our tithing based on percentages. We like to graph it all out and get all our computer programs and make sure the budget's all set. And so here's what's for God and here's what's for this and here's what's for that. And so God, this is the part of my life, the percentage of me that is yours. But there's these other parts of me as well that have allegiances to other places too. And so we say, well, the majority of me is kind of focused and aligned with God. And there's just a few parts of me that are are kind of aligned with maybe the ways of the world, and, and that's okay. And Jesus says, there is no option for, part, for, for, for percentages. There's no option for a partition. We cannot have part of us under the allegiance of God and part of us under other allegiances. He says right here, it's, it's his words, you will either hate the one and love the other or love the one and despise the other. But sometimes I feel like we're like, well, God, I love you. And God of mammon, I kind of love you too. But we cannot love them both. Jesus says there must be a choice. Choose your master. The word for money, as I've been saying all along, mammon, is the point that Jesus personifies wealth as a god, as a master. And these masters here are opposites. The god of mammon demands self-centered living. That's how it feeds itself. That's what it does. It's the cycle. It, it promises things, but it demands a self-centered life. See, the god of heaven demands the opposite, sacrificial living for the sake of others. And Jesus says, make your choice. And he made his. He proved the choice that he had made. Alan Hirsch, uh, thought-provoking author, said, We are dealing with a very significantly religious phenomenon. If the role of religion is to mediate a sense of identity, let, let me explain this for a moment. What he's saying is it, faith, in essence, promises certain things. He's saying that faith or religion, I, I prefer the word faith, is meant to give us certain things. It's meant to give us, he says, a sense of identity, purpose, meaning, and community. Identity, purpose, meaning, and community. And what Hirsch says is that these things that it gives us the sense of, it can be said that consumerism and materialism, the God of mammon fulfills the exact same things. You can find identity, Purpose, meaning, and community in either God, except one of them truly satisfies and one just deceives. So Jesus says, make your choice. And he tries to remind us through his life even that the God of mammon does not satisfy. What does it look like to trust God more than the God of mammon for our provision? Well, we will choose to invest our lives in heavenly treasure. That means making disciples through the gospel. It also means we will choose God as our master. That means serving God by serving the gospel. What's so tricky about some of this when it comes to stewardship in the church is, maybe this is you even this morning. I'm not sure if you're visiting or if you've been here a while, but maybe you're thinking, man, uh, money and talking about the God of mammon, this this. This makes me cringe a little bit. This one, 
This one's kind of, I'm sensitive to this because I don't want to see abuses. Here's another church kind of talking about this or talking about that. I find it very ironic that if there was an idol that would define this nation more than any other, it would be the God of Mammon. And I find it ironic that the, the very idolatry that we are most that we are most at risk of falling into is the very idolatry that we don't want to talk about. See, we must. We must. As disciples of Jesus in this culture, in this society, we must. Because we know that God has given us all the plenty. And even if you don't feel that you have plenty, he's given this community plenty. And we're here to take care of one another as a spiritual family. He's given us this plenty and these resources and these treasures so we can hoard treasures in heaven. So we can make disciples. So we can just store up the work of the gospel and lives of people. It reminds me of the words of Joshua, and I'll close with them. It's a choice for all of us today, and I do want to share with you, even before I read this, that there is forgiveness, grace, and victory in Christ. Even if your allegiances have been swayed, even if you've tried to play a little bit of love here and a lot of love there, whatever that game is, you have that opportunity where God says, just come back and I will show you my provision is sufficient for you. Joshua put it this way, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Who will you choose to serve this day? What does it look like to trust God? more than the God of mammon for your provision? Invest in heavenly treasure. Let God be your master. Give him your total allegiance.